church. It's good to see you guys. How are we this morning? That's not bad. Hey, well, my name, uh, my name is Wes Jones. I am the college and 20s pastor here. This has been a series on the life of Jesus, the, the leadership of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Um, and the, the idea or the, the aim of this series has kind of been to help us paint a different picture of Jesus. Um, maybe not the things that we always think about when we think about the name of Jesus. And I grew up in church, and I grew up going to church, and it almost seemed like it didn't matter what church I visited or what church my family went to, whether it was a Methodist church or a Baptist church or a new church or an old church, literally every single church that I went to had the exact same photo of Jesus in their lobby. And you probably know the photo that I'm talking about, but it, it looks something like this. You know, you know that picture, right? And the only thing I think about when I, when I see that image is, oh, look at Jesus. Like, such, a, such a nice guy. He's holding the lamb. And I know there's some theological implications to that photo, but it, it can paint kind of a, a soft picture of Jesus, that he's just a loving and he's a gracious guy, and he is those things. But uh, today, we're going to be talking about the idea of, of Jesus as our judge. And I know that we hear that word judge or, or judgment, and it can automatically make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like, man, the last thing I wanted to do on a Sunday morning is come to church and hear about judgment and, and make feel bad about what I do. But I promise you, we understand that. And if you stick with us, there's going to be some good news. But when I think about the idea of judgment or an enforcer, I think more along the lines of something like this. Yeah. So if you don't know who that is, that is none other than Chuck Norris himself, uh, the legend. For some reason, I don't understand. Like, Walker, Texas Ranger was the worst slash best show of all time, and the legacy of Chuck Norris continues to grow and grow, and I don't fully understand why. But that's what I think about. Um, so as we talk about Jesus as our judge, I really want to do a couple things. I want, number one, uh, help us understand, well, what is it really that gives Jesus the authority to judge us. Have you, have you ever been in a situation uh, with your family or friends and, and you felt like someone was, was judging you or condemning you or coming down on you and you're like, you don't know me, don't judge me. Happens a lot maybe when you're dating. Uh, if you're dating someone and the, girls, the, girl, the girlfriend's friends think, well, he's just not good enough for you. Or if you're married, it's like the, the in-laws don't think you're quite good enough and they pass judgment. Um, not the best feeling, so we need to establish does Jesus even really have the authority to judge us? The second thing I want to do, well, if he, if he does indeed have the authority, can we trust him? Can we trust that he's a good judge, that he's going to be accountable and faithful, and he's going to give us a fair trial if our lives are on the line? I want a judge that's going to be fair, so we need to establish that. The third thing I want to do is establish, well, what is it, what is it that Jesus is going to judge us by? And there's a lot of different things that are taught about this. Is it going to be um, how good of a person we are? Is it going to be by our church attendance? Is it going to be how we treat other people? Is it going to be because we help homeless people or we help old ladies across the street? I don't know why that's always like the standard for if you're a good person. Well, if you're a good person, if you help them across the street, I don't know. So what is it that he's going to hold us accountable for? And last thing, but certainly not least, I want to help answer the question for all of us, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? That's, that's a pretty serious question, but it's crazy to me. I, I'll have conversations with, with people or college kids or whoever. You know, sometimes I just ask, well, you know, how, how sure or how certain are you that, that you are indeed going to go to heaven? And it's like, well, I'm like a 60%, 70%. 
I was at like an 80, but then the weekend rolled around and I made a lot of bad decisions. So I'm now at like a 20 or a 30%. Where do I stand? And we believe as a church, man, this is something that the Bible teaches that you should have 100% clarity on when it comes to heaven and hell. So I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, and I grew up in a really small town in the state of Texas. And in small towns, at least for our family, uh, there really was not a lot of things to do. So my family, I felt like we just went to church a lot. Uh, we were Southern Baptists, and so I was at church literally like on Sunday mornings. Uh, then we had to go back for Sunday nights. Then there was Monday night prayer meetings, and there was like the Wednesday night potluck dinner, which was always amazing. But it just felt like we were at church, or I was at church all the time. And so summertime rolled around, and my mom uh, gathers us, and we're, we're having dinner. And she's like, well, family, I've got, I've got some really good news I want to share with you guys. And we're like, all right, cool. So it's summertime. I'm thinking, number one, hey, we're about to go on a, on a vacation. Uh, we didn't get to vacation a lot. So if, it, if we did, it was like a, a really good treat. Um, or maybe two, I've been one a dog for a long time. So maybe this was the day that like they were going to surprise us with a dog. I would have accepted like a cat or a turtle or anything at that point in my life. Or, or number three, we've been really wanting a trampoline. If you don't know what a trampoline is, it's like the most dangerous toy ever invented. Like, there's never a time where someone jumps on a trampoline and somebody doesn't break their leg or, or get hurt. But she says, no, here's the good news, is that, that the church is getting ready to have a revival. What's, what's the good news, mom? She says, no, the church is, is going to have a revival, and we're going to go every single day. So the revival is like... What it is, seriously, it's like seven days of church and a lot of church and a lot of preaching and a lot of prayer time and a lot of singing, then more preaching and on and on and on and on and on. So as a kid, I'm not too jacked up about this revival. But it was what it was. And so the last day of the revival rose around. And if you know anything about religious events, like the last day is the day. Every single person in the house is getting saved no matter what. If they have to lock the doors, it doesn't matter. Every single person has to make a decision to follow Jesus at some point. And that was the same situation with this revival. We'd been in there for like six hours, and I was like, can we just get out of here? So the pastor, we weren't, it wasn't six hours, it was like seven. Um, so the pastor, to close out this thing, he says, here's what I want to do. I want everybody in the room, I want you to stand up and come down to the front of the church. So all four of us stood up and we walked down to the front of the church. And um, that's always, it's uncomfortable if the pastor's like, stand up, come down to the front. You have literally no idea what to expect in that situation. Like, are we coming up for snacks? Is it snack time? Is this thing over? Can we just get out of here, please? Um, he says, here's what we're going to do. I want you to, to get in a straight line. All right. Yes, sir. So we get in a straight line and he, he literally, he pulls a, a lighter out of his pocket and he goes from, from person to person with, with the lighter, with the flame. He says, do you, do you feel that? <laughs> yeah, it's fire, you idiot, of course I feel it. Is the, is the fire hot? Well, yes, it's fire, of course it is hot. Well, you know what's hotter than that fire, young man? No, the fire in hell. <laughs> do you want to spend eternity burning in hell? <laughs> Not really. He goes, well, then what you need to do is you need to uh, confess your sins and, and get saved in this moment. Do you want to confess your sins and get saved so you don't have to burn in hell? Yeah, I'm in. Can we just please go? So that was, that was a real thing that happened. And as I kind of looked back on, on that situation in my life, uh, I felt a couple things. I felt, number one, that that pastor, 
needed a breath mint and some deodorant because that dude was kicking. And I would rather have spent eternity in hell than have to smell that dude one more time. <laughs> Not really. But secondly, I honestly felt, man, that, like, that just wasn't right. That wasn't fair. I felt like I got manipulated into accepting and believing Jesus. And it was more based out of fear than it was understanding the, the love that God had for me. And I tell you that story uh, because I don't want by any means for you to feel manipulated today into accepting Jesus or believing Jesus. I don't have a lighter in my pocket. We're not lighting any doors. You're not coming down to the front. But I don't want you to, to fearfully make a decision to follow Jesus. So back to the, the first question, is what is it that actually gives Jesus the authority to judge us? There, there's several things. The first thing is this, is that Jesus himself is our creator and he is our designer. He created us, he authored us, and I know you say, well, time out, no, I don't think it was Jesus. It was actually God who made us. But Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it says, let us make man in, what, in our image. Let us make man in our image. So this, this verse is giving a reference to the Holy Trinity, that there's the Father and there's the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we know that before we were ever ever made or ever born, that, that Jesus was there at the very beginning. He's always been around. He's always been the author and creator of us. Colossians says it like this. Is that it says that by him all things in heaven and on earth were, were made, that he is the firstborn over all creation. So since he created us, since he designed us, it gives him the authority to hold judgment or accountability over our lives. Parents, you understand that if you have children, that you as, as the parent, you are the, the person that sets the standard of, of life for your kids. And you are the one that can, can condemn them or judge them. Not too much, but you have that right because you created them and you designed them. Second thing is this, is that Jesus, he really had authority over every single thing that was on this earth. We see that through the, the performing of his miracles. He turns water into wine. He makes the seas be still. He feeds thousands of people. He casts demons out. There was literally nothing in, in, on planet earth that Jesus didn't have authority over. And thirdly, we see this, is that the Father actually gave authority to Jesus to, to judge us. And here's what it says in John chapter five. It says, the Father, in fact, judges nobody, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. So we can, three, we can see by those three things that Jesus absolutely, if there's anyone who has the authority to judge us, it is him. And the second question is, can we really trust that he's going to give us a fair trial? How do we know that we can trust that he is who he says he is, that he's going to be fair on our behalf? And I think about some, some cultural issues. We see some, some judges or some, some trials that, that we've seen in the past that they're not necessarily fair, and we don't necessarily know that, that the judge was trustworthy. And as I thought about this, uh, the first person that, I, that came to mind when talking about judgment, it was not Chuck Norris. It was actually Judge Judy herself. You don't want to mess with Judge Judy. If you're ever at home, like Monday through Friday, all day, she has reruns all day, and they're quite entertaining. But the thing is about Judge Judy is you, you don't really know if she's fair or not. If you're in her, in her courtroom and you maybe say something inappropriate or you speak out of turn or if you're not dressed the way that she thinks you should be dressed, she could easily just rule against you. So she's not really fair. A couple of trials that, that came to mind were number one, this is gonna take you back a little bit, this will take you back, you remember when this went down, but it was the case of O.J. Simpson a long time ago. O.J. Simpson was accused of 
of murdering his wife, but throughout the trial, um, at the end of the trial, he was actually acquitted of all charges, and it was, it was controversial, and it was a big deal. Third case I think about uh, is Casey Anthony. This was a lady who was charged of, of killing her daughter or murdering her daughter, and throughout her trial, it was a public trial, she was caught several times telling lies and lies and lies, but at the end, she was acquitted of all charges. So I think about those cases, and it makes me question, is Jesus, can we trust him? And there's a couple reasons why we actually can't. Number one, we can trust him because Jesus is the only perfect, holy, righteous human being who's ever walked the face of the earth. Psalm says it like this, Psalms 96, 13, it says that he will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his faithfulness. So since his, he's perfect, his, his judgment is perfect, his thoughts are perfect, he will judge us in a perfect way. The second thing about Jesus is that there's no subjectivity in the way that he will judge us. In all these other cases and other trials, the judge is essentially making a decision based on opinions or facts or evidence. With Jesus, he knows everything that you've ever done, he knows everything that you will do. So there's no subjectivity in the way that he judges us. So where does that leave us? If we know that Jesus has the authority, we know that we can trust him, where does that leave you and where does that leave myself? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where uh, you falsely accused someone of doing something that, that they didn't do or you've been falsely accused of doing something. It's, it's not really a good feeling and this actually happened uh, in my life about a week and a half ago. Uh, my wife gave birth to our first son named Grant Howard Jones uh, about a month ago. That's my gangster right there. <laughs> so she gave birth to him um, about a month ago. And in our house, I'm not going to say who is who in, in the story, but there's one of us in our, in our house that, that really prefers things to be nice and neat and organized and orderly and clean, and not like super clean, but just semi-clean. So there's one of us that is that way. The other one doesn't really care as much. Like, you know, if, if some laundry needs to be folded, we can get to it later. If the dishes need to be done, and maybe we'll do them, maybe, maybe not. If the office is on, like nothing's getting done in our house. So that's, I'm not gonna say who's who in that situation, but I will say that my wife took our son to Texas to visit some family. And while she was gone, uh, I had some time to, to kind of work ahead and, and clean some stuff up in our house. And it, it had been a, a busy week, and so I, I'd had this, um, this toiletry kit that I had all of my belongings in. It had like my toothbrush and my toothpaste and all that stuff. And I, I left it where it needed to be by our sink in our bathroom, where you naturally use these kind of things. Well, my wife gets home from Texas, First night, she was back. I go, I go into the bathroom, and I, my toiletry kit is gone. So I, that's weird. So I, I go to my wife and say, hey, hey honey, have you, have you seen this, my toiletry kit? No. No, I haven't. Are you sure? Because I, I could have sworn I left it there. She's like, no, I haven't seen it. So I casually, lovingly, leave her sight and go look throughout our house and says, all right, I might, I might have re replaced, I might have put it somewhere else. So I look for like 10 or 15 minutes and, and I come back with a little bit more aggression and say, hey, honey, are you sure you have not seen my night kit? Because I was 
pretty stinking sure that I left it right here. She says, no, I have not seen your kit. So then things got ugly. I start walking through our house, storming through our house. I'm throwing clothes over the place. Like I'm freaking out about my night kit. I had to sleep on the couch for a couple days. Um, Because it didn't really end well. Till the next day, I go out to my truck, and I'm, I'm digging around in the backseat of my truck, and there I find my toilet kit with all of my things. And so I had falsely accused her of doing all these things that she actually didn't do. So I had to, like, tuck my tail between my legs, and I had to go and apologize to her. But I'll tell you that story because it paints a picture of, of being accused of, of things that you haven't done. And God is not going to accuse us of things that we haven't done. So where do we stand? In the Old Testament, God came to Moses and he said, Moses, I'm going to give you these rules and these laws and this is what I want you and your people to live by. And if you do these things, like, we'll be cool, we'll be tight, but you do these things, if you don't do these things, like, we're going to have some issues. So this was the the law, the commandments that God gave to Moses, and I just want to go over them with us for a minute. Number one is this, it says that you shall have no other gods before me. So very simple, just don't put any gods before me. I need to be the only God in your life. Don't put anybody else or anything else above me. Number two, you shall not make any idols. And when I hear the word idol, I think about like a physical statue or something like that. But an idol, in reality, is anything that comes between our relationship and God. This can be job. This can be religion. This can be money. This can be family. We've got football season coming up, fellas. This can be fantasy football. Can I get an amen? It can literally be anything that comes before you and your relationship with God. The third thing he says is this, is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you've ever been driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off, don't use the Lord's name in vain. My my least favorite is when somebody is going like 35 in the fast lane. Like everything in me wants to like give them the bird and, and let them know how I feel about them, but don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't do it. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is something that our, our culture could really benefit from. This was a day that they actually took to rest. It was just a day to recover and just focus your relationship on God and just rest and relax and calm down a little bit. Number five, honor your father and your mother. They should have added in, honor your father, your father-in-law, and your mother, and your mother-in-law. Because we all know that in-laws can be a little bit difficult from time to time, and it doesn't matter how old you get. Sometimes it is really hard to bring honor to your family, but he says you need to do these things. Number six, really simple, you shall not murder. Now, if we have any murderers in the room, it's okay. We've got a, a care pastor named Donnie Dar. We'll get you in contact with him. Our vision is to love you where you are, so it's okay. The New Testament actually takes that to the next step, and it says, actually this, if you say that you hate your brother or your sister, you are the same as a murderer. So if you've ever said that, you're a murderer. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Don't don't run around on your spouse, on your wife or your husband. And the New Testament even takes that a step further and says, actually, if you even look at anyone lustfully, you're the same as an adulterer. So the things you invite into your life, don't don't lust, don't commit adultery. Number eight, really simple, you shall not steal. Don't be stealing stuff that's not yours. Don't be cheating on your taxes. Don't be doing all these things. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So don't be a gossiper, don't be a slander, don't be a negative person talking negatively, negatively about people behind their back. 
And number 10, he says, the last thing that I, that I want you to do is just do not covet. What coveting is, is when we want things that aren't ours. We look at other people's lives and we compare ourselves to them or the, the cars that they drive or the, the things that they do. It makes life really tough when we start to compare ourselves to what other people have. God says, you know what, man, just, just be content and faithful with the things that I've given you. And it's okay to aspire to, to have a better life and do other things, but we also need to be thankful for the things that God has placed in our own lives. So is that, that's the law. So as I walk through those things, and I, and I, and I think about my own life, I mean, there are, there are some things on that list that I am absolutely guilty of. And so the, the actual purpose for God to give Moses this law is for us to understand, man, that really, honestly, actually, none of us are innocent. We, we are all guilty of something at some point, some sin, some transgression, something. Think about it like this. And I don't wanna make any assumptions about your life, but let's just pretend for a minute that every, everybody here, you sin just one time a day. Like once in a day, that's a pretty good day for me. Actually, I don't even know that's ever happened. But just pretend you sin one time a day. Harmless, no big deal. Well, the average lifespan in the United States is 79 years. So if we take that one sin a day and we multiply it by 365 days in a year times 79 years, that comes out to roughly 28,000 cents. It starts to, starts to add up after a while, doesn't it? So as a church, we got about 10,000 people. That puts us guilty of 288 million sins. 288 million offenses in the sight of a holy God. So in that moment, think about your life. I mean, you're in a, you're in a courtroom setting. And Jesus, Jesus is your judge, and he's looking down. And he's like, wow, you've got, you've got a lot of stuff there. You've got a lot of sin. The word sin actually means to miss the mark. When you hear the word sin, that's what it means. It means that God has a standard for us to live by. And when we sin, we go outside of that standard. So these sins are actually crimes or offenses in the sight of a holy God. So no good judge, no righteous judge would look down on a, on a person and say, hey, you know what? I see that you've got 28,000 crimes there, but if you take me out to a steak dinner, we'll just call it good. That would be literally the worst judge in the world. So Jesus has to do something to deal with the things that you and I have done, because we're, we're guilty. And here's what I want you to hear today. It's the story of the gospel of, of the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus has every right to condemn us, to punish us. Scripture says, for the wages of sin are death. But here's, here's what I want you to understand about God. This is what God's desire for you is. This is what Jesus' desire for you is. Probably the most popular verse in all of the New Testament. You probably know it. Tim Tebow puts it on his eye black. If you go to a sporting event, sometimes there's this crazy fan that always has this sign up with this, this verse on it, but here's what it says. 
for God so loved the world in this way that he gave us his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but they will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. I don't know if you caught the good news in there, but essentially here's what happens. Is that Jesus, instead of judging us and punishing us and condemning us, he steps up off of his judgment seat and he comes and he stands in our place. He stands in our place. Second Corinthians says this. It says that for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might have the righteousness of God. So every single bit of, of death and punishment and thing that we deserve, Jesus took for us on the cross and God poured out his wrath. But you and me together, we go free. It says that if you just believe in Jesus, you are set free. The old is gone and the new has come, and in Christ you are a new creation. And there are so many different theologies taught about, about heaven and about hell, who is in and who is not in. One of the popular beliefs is this, that if, if you just be a good person, you'll get to go to heaven. So just be a good person. Live your whole life and just do good deeds. Like we talked about earlier, help as many old ladies across the street as you possibly can. If you do that, and if I go on enough mission trips and I serve and I do all these good things, if I, if I work hard enough, I can earn right standing in the sight of God. The Bible says no. Well, what about heaven for, for the religious people, those of us that work at a church or, or live our life according to the law, and we say, man, I just gotta do all these religious things. If I, if I do that, then Jesus, will, will, I, will I be in, will I get in? The Bible says no. What if I just try my best to behave all of my life and I try my hardest not to sin? We've already seen that, man, you and I, we are, we are sinners from day one. Here's what you gotta understand. With the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, what gets you in 100%, either yes or no. It's not on what you've done. It's not on what you haven't done. It's not on will you. You, what you will do, it's on what Jesus has already done. And putting your faith in that, giving your life to that. Church, it really is as simple as that. We make it way more complicated than it is. And I know that you hear that, like, all I have to do is believe. That's what the Bible says. If you just believe, you're in. Well, what about good works? What about after that? Just believe and you are in. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he is who he says he is, that he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, and you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Heaven is for you. Jesus is for you. God is for you. So I'm going to pray. And, and if you're here today, man, you're like, man, I've, I've got this Jesus thing wrong my whole life. And you've, you just don't believe in him and you haven't believed in him and you want to believe in him today and you want to make that decision today. I'm going to pray. And it's not a magical prayer, but just the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It is as simple as that, church. It's the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe in you. You are 
unbelievably good to us, God, and we're just so thankful for today. Lord, I pray for those in the room, um, God, who are trusting you for the first time, God, that they would just confess with their mouth that you are Lord and they will be saved. God, may we, may we be rid of all of our thoughts on that we have to earn our way um, into heaven or earn right standing with you. God, you've already made a way out, and we're thankful for that today. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.